This time, Life and Sense is a conversation with the artist Richard Wentworth, which is slightly different for a couple of reasons. The first thing you'll notice is that there is no Adette. She's working on an exciting new project, but will be back next time. Secondly, the echoey and somewhat cavernous location of our chat was unfortunately unavoidable on this occasion, so you might note the absence of our usual lush, evocative soundscapes. Richard Wentworth is a name who will be familiar to anybody with an interest in the art world. His work investigates objects and their use as part of our day-to-day -day experiences, and he has been at the forefront of new British sculpture for over 30 years. He's also a teacher, working at Goldsmiths, Ruskin at Oxford University, and most recently the Royal College of Art. We start by talking about smell, memory, and childhood, as we often do, but Richard's mind quickly takes us in other directions. I can get hold of them, but I don't think they're things that I particularly carry around. They're pretty conventional. Probably my father's hair oil, maybe some kind of generic mother smell, but uh, the lawnmower. I don't really have anything that's very charged from before three years old. I expect under hypnosis all this could be released, but interestingly what I'm doing while I'm being asked is I'm doing it spatially. So I'm going to places where I have some kind of record of where I was and when. But I, they're not aroma-filled it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm going from living spaces to kitchens to toilets to gardens, pretty conventional stuff, the bottom to the top, I'm going up into the attic. Maybe the, de the, the dust between rafters, actually, is un the untouched, the exhilaration of climbing into places where you're not meant to go. I'd have been 10 years old when I was doing that which I suppose are the generic smells of London, actually. They're the smells of plaster associated with years of soot, the dust of the city. Not, not, definitely not a bad smell, but it's, it carries with it age and time and, and histories. My favourite tube smell is actually the Paris tube, and I think... Um, I, because of my age, I think of Paris as being completely erotic, although absolutely nothing has ever happened to me in Paris that could possibly be described as erotic. I think that the ozone, which is what I think it is, in the Paris metro, um, mixed up with the bodily smells of the French, which continues, but not nearly so strongly, with Gaulois... Gitane, but, but that is already a sort of nostalgic frame. I, I, the last time I was in the French metro was probably six months ago, and I don't remember having that, so maybe they've changed the form of electrification. <laughs> or maybe I'm losing it. I think knowing what smell is is interesting, and, of course, that's attached to all recognition. You know, the, the, the cliché of thinking that there's a terrible foot sore near you and then realising it's a really good cheese is quite a... There are odd moments when that happens, when context jumps for some reason and you don't read things quite properly. We've anaesthetised so much smell. My guess is in the last 50 years. 
and the insertion of all sorts of completely disgusting stand-in smells. I, I, those ca- candle shops, I want to throw up. If I knew how to, um, what's it called? It's not called a volatile vomit, but, uh, you know, if I could actually arrange such a thing, I'd probably do it as an act of distress because I think it's such an imposition. I think there are moments when smell feels like an utter imposition and you just go you set me up for this so that could be somebody at a bus stop wearing something that is unbearable actually when that happens it often makes me want to burst out laughing because it's so funny because it's like being shouted at and it's as if they don't know but that's obviously a cultural gap and I'm polite enough not to broach that space and I think there's, connected to that, there's a forgiveness thing. You know, the um, person who smells of urine, stale urine, a London bus experience, quite common, often an old man, but often an old woman too, is quite a tender space. It's quite a delicate negotiation. Somebody recently told me about somebody getting onto a bendy bus, so not that recent, but somebody got onto a bendy bus and... Everybody fled to the other end of the bus. It was so bad. And, um, I mean, that person could have been terribly ill. It could have been any number of explanations. But it was told as um, social recoil and as if there was a... as if people actually spoke to each other about it. It was so extreme. Of course, I've been living through the period of the endless flattening out of everything so that... um, you know, I don't know whether that's called globalisation. Things become less and less remarkable because they are more and more plural and they are more and more findable wherever you go. Uh, and we point the finger of corporate culture, but actually I think it's the, the nature of a 747 taking off and landing, which it's been doing for nearly 50 years. Uh, it's an awful lot of movement. Things up till, let's say, until I was about 30 where I would enjoy the unusual. Uh, the world seems much more usualized. It's something to do with, you know, seeing a vegetable where it's grown, seeing a fruit where it's grown, knowing that it's within a minute of coming off the tree or a day of coming off the tree, as opposed to have been in a refrigerated truck coming from Murthia to Waitrose. These are all quite confusing things. I remember Jane Grigson writing about injecting um, the bakery smells in um, supermarkets. I don't know whether that's still done or whether people just are baking in supermarkets. And obviously it's one of the most soothing smells there is. Baking, the smells of pies and stews, and even when pies move off into desserts, you know, things associated with cloves or cloves when they get hot, cinnamon. I went to a museum recently, to the Foundling Museum. We do something every year there called um, Soup for a Hundred. It's really fantastic to walk into a museum, which is normally pretty anodyne. Um, doesn't even, it, it's quite a waxed sort of place, but it doesn't particularly smell of beeswax or that kind of attentive cleaning. And it smelt of dinner. The power of walking up a superficially aged staircase 
surrounded with the feeling that it was an inhabited place associated with food was uh, fantastic and, and strangely didn't feel like they'd got a restaurant. It wasn't, it's was a different space of who's generating the smell. That smell only exists because of the care and attention that somebody has, it's a very human thing. I also think that you have to experience that smell over baking bread takes an hour and a half to bake. There's something of being in that space for the amount of the time and letting it know, letting yourself know that that's going on. Well, that's lovely because um, half an hour ago I was sitting here with some Swiss architects and we were talking about perceptions of how things are made and how less and less people know how anything is made. So we're in a building which has got imported elements like cast-iron columns bricks which might have been baked quite nearby probably were um, anyway the, lang the language of assembly and the recognition that the table that we're sitting at is contemporary careless you can see it's it's fine but it's nominal and it's quite unlike other things that our eye can see where we feel care and I think what you just said where human agency is primary and you recognise that human time and imagination commitment is maybe what you're smelling. You're smelling... Um, and the eye does that very well. The eye, the eye actually knows cheap, cheap from cheerful, from very good, from expensive to extravagant. And I think it's very... We don't talk about it very much, but we, you know, we live with lots of simulation. I haven't got my glasses on, but there's a camera case which proposes, or it's a, it's a recorder case, but it sort of proposes that it might be somehow like a leather binocular case, but actually it's obviously a sort of a rubber substitute. <laughs> that doesn't make it a bad material. It just means that it's in a different space. It's like tone of voice. We, we can read that, and I think smell is like that. And, of course, the other thing that I, I think is sort of travelling in all of this is curiosity, you know, as a child, picking and fingering and smearing and licking and all, all the sort of base sexual things are just filed under inquisitiveness. And most people actually have a tale of some horror where they've touched something and then perhaps as a primary act of checking what it is brought a finger to a nostril that whole territory which is intensely private and often told as, as, as either family jokes or domestic stories but actually doesn't make it into the public realm there are lots around ears, bottoms, willies fannies uh, you know this is a, and, then, and it's very funny that the moment it's verbalised it becomes prurient I think that the sort of datum or yeah, the, the datums of what is discussable and what is not, what takes place in, in, within privacy is incredibly interesting. And I'm not the kind of artist that wants to make a big thing about rupturing those. Some, some artists, is, that's their subject in a way. But you'd be very odd if you didn't recognise it. I think mine are more mechanical... I really dislike the smell of swarfiga, which is a, is a sort of um, cleaning up after the workshop gunge. I don't know whether it still smells how it smells, but it's one of those smells which is probably 
completely chemical and doesn't have any proposition of being anything other than what it is. So it's a, probably a truth. You know, I'm, I'm a pre-health and safety person. I've been near bad smoke and all those things where you're trying to solder something and it's giving off fumes and you're taking it in and you, you crunch it, you know, you screw up your eyes and hold your nose and hope it won't end up later on killing you. Petrol in the mouth and blood in the mouth, I think, is are two... Maybe that's interesting that they're both in the mouth. I hadn't really thought about that. Oh, and yes, there's a famous moment where there's a, a sort of campsite we we go to in the summer and have gone there for forever. So my children have been babies, children, adolescents and adults there. It gets very hot in the summer. Um, and I remember seeing the period when the adult finishes children's food unhesitatingly, which I think before you've had children you find quite strange, but you just finish it. And there was um, a cup with lemonade in it and I was absolutely gasping and I took a gulp and it was bleach. You find out very quickly it's bleach because the, the smell and the taste are quite closely associated and it looks exactly like lemonade in a white plain mug. I remember it, it hadn't even really got past the, mi- the middle of my tongue before I realised and I spat it out and with various expletives and I think probably a certain amount of mirth from everybody actually rather than genuine horror and the thing that I remember was that what an incredibly effective way it is to clean your teeth I mean I think most people are very worried uh, it's quite a sort of modern thing to worry about how bad one's breath is and thinking, well, that'll work. <laughs> if you're inquisitive about materials, I think childhood is hugely associated with really sort of baseline sexuality, you know, bite and find out what it is and bite gently and, you know, it might be very pleasurable. <laughs> All of the smells you've come up with which are related to your work in some way are very much to do with the, the process of making this stuff. If you're making a piece of art with objects, you, you've, you've already spoken very clearly about ascribing certain characteristics and qualities to these objects. Do you think about objects in terms of what they might smell like? Well, I suppose that, that, that that's at the edge of what everything has anyway, which is that everything has a kind of aura or corona. You know, I'm looking at two identical shapes which I can pretty well assume are going to be salt and pepper. Emotionally, I can feel that the one that's got the salt in is going to be quite different from the one that's got the pepper in. And so these things give off not exactly smell, but a lot, a lot of recognition. You know, I, I would be very odd if I didn't understand that the water was going to be wet when I put my finger in it. If I did it as a sort of um, one of those Christmas games where you give something to smell, Somebody, something to smell or something to feel between finger and thumb, you know, that, that salt has some kind of... certainly feels quite unlike sugar. And I think we're pretty good at that. I quite like that about waking up in a strange place and trying to check my perceptions. We can smell temperature. I don't know whether I can smell whether the radiator is on or is it that I can see some air movement near it. But a radiator that's on or off looks different. And it's my job, in a way, to look with that kind of vigilance. 
the pleasure of um, summer rain, you know, cliche of all cliches, but, you know, it's just the most gorgeous thing. And the clarity that comes after it, there's nothing like it. And those, that there's something where the visual, the temperature, percent of moisture per cubic, whatever it's called, anyway, <laughs> the atmosphere. These are really pretty sexual. They're all enveloping. You bask or bathe in them, I think. Because humans are gainers and losers because they can't look at anything and not give it meaning. That's what they do. Um, and I do remember reading somewhere about what, it, what is going on with soil and it's not humus, is it? It's Anyway, humus, no, humus. <laughs> anyway, it's not humus, it's humus. Um, that what, what those reactions, what's taking place as the moisture enters the ground and what's being released. But obviously that, that must be because we, we live by metaphor, you know, so it's sort of post-coital, you know, and a good rainstorm is a tough, noisy... An August rainstorm is a real wow, you know, and sometimes involves calamity and catastrophe. Something gets blown away or everything that you were eating at lunch outside ends up on the ground or stuff. It's like a mini-apocalypse, sort of coital event. And then afterwards, everyone is sort of settling back into some sort of emotional condition of smoking a cigarette. I'm aware that if somebody walks past me wearing a scent that my wife has worn, I have recognition. But I don't suddenly take off all my clothes and go, it must be you. Uh, But it's quite a funny moment. To use very old English, it's slightly unseemly. Happened to me recently with a Japanese woman in, in the Corbusier Cabernet in, um, near Nice, in Roquebrun. I was dying to say to this woman, who spoke hardly any English, excuse me, what is that scent? And I thought, just leave it alone. But it was very, very funny. And then I was also thinking that there's a, a strange thing going on there because... If we're to talk about class in its in its biggest sense, you know, she's from the same class. She's uh, this woman was a um, graphic designer. She's within a, a sort of known compass of somebody I would easily have a conversation with, and then she's smelling familiar to me. Um, th- these are these are. I'm not describing anything dark, but I am deciding. Uh, I am describing something where you realise that some privacies are being taken for a bit of a walk. And in that instance, unknowingly, un- unknowably and unknowingly. I think this might be a Donald Judd quote, but cultures actually smell of their cleaning materials. So when I lived in Berlin, you know, you, you could really feel that it was quite different to go from... Uh, West Berlin to East Berlin. You know, you can take that back in history to do with who grows what, where, and what becomes of those materials and whether things are allowed to rot down and what that rotting is used for. Really, how the materials of the world are moved around and um, traded. Um, So that's quite a big sort of atmospheric thing. 
and then that set right against one's sense of the public and the private self. I mean, I think I'm a bit of a sloven, but I wouldn't want people to know that publicly. So there's a sort of point at which washedness or ready-for-the-worldness really amuses me, you know, and you can test it because when the postman comes to the door and you are not, inverted commas, up, that can be a very odd moment. And you realise it's because you haven't become a public person and you're in this threshold space and you think, God, they must meet a lot of that. There's a sort of sexual proposal that it's the milkman joke, you know, people coming to the door with not much on, fresh from the bathroom or not. Or These are highly socialised things to do with ideas of cleanliness. Everyone's sewage will look more or less the same. There'll be slightly better materials under Belgravia. Once you move away from the glint of the surfaces, we are what we are. I think that's a funny, a funny space. And, of course, we've lived through this period of um, hanging compressed paper trees in cabs and cars and with ridiculous proposals on them, you know. Um, and they're all totally horrible and I remember that that Kleis Oldenburg's wife actually had some modern illness she said I have the modern illness which means I can't I react to all of this constructed aroma I can't get in a cab with any of that but you can hear just in the edge of my voice it actually makes me quite angry going back to the candle shop you know minding my own business walking along a street I feel slightly outraged by all of that This has been Life in Sense with Richard Wentworth. Life in Sense.